So, what do you think? You heard the gospel lesson this morning. How did you feel when you heard those harsh words of Jesus? Those words where he's talking about being a a disciple and what it means to be a follower of him. I I find myself saying, (laughs) this is obviously impossible. If you want to follow him, nothing comes before him. Nothing. Not father or mother, wife or children, siblings or even self. Bear your cross fully, he says. Completely. Follow Jesus. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Failed. Flunked it. The big F. What do you do with this? Frankly, I'd like to just take a single-edged razor blade and just gently cut those verses out. Gets too personal. And no one really likes to be considered a failure. Ah, it must be a figure of speech. It certainly has to be hyperbole, using extreme language to make a point. Perhaps. But it does say what it says. Now, it's not an invitation to hate. You know, when you read Scripture, you have to allow Scripture to interpret itself. And and just four chapters earlier, Jesus summarized the law by saying, love God and love your neighbor. It's not an invitation to hate or to harm, but it is an invitation to take this discipleship thing seriously. Being a follower of Jesus is not just having your family name in the church directory, but it is a personal relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. Jesus tells two little stories after this strong statement about building a tower, going to war. And they are rhetorical. Of course, no one would say, well, we would build without figuring and go to war without counting troops. But what Jesus is saying here is that this is very serious stuff. That's the point. And the harshness of Jesus' words quickly lead us somewhere. Not to uh, self-assurance and not to boldness, but rather to our knees. It helps me put discipleship 
in its proper perspective. I can't do it by myself. But Jesus is in control. These are words that quickly lead us to our knees in confession. Recognizing even before discipleship begins, we realize we are not capable on our own, but rather fully dependent on him. Being a disciple will be not based on my ability, my own ability to perform, but on this one who loves me completely and forgives me daily. This is really a reoccurring process because as a sinner I am never measuring up. It's not a call to rationalize my sin. In other words, to say, well, I tried, but of course everybody fails. Or the expectations are just too high. So what do you expect? But no, here is the standard. And I have fallen short. And I am in need of mercy and grace and forgiveness. I don't know about you, but for me, that's always a surprising thing. Not my inability, but, and not my falling short, but the grace side of things. Even though I've heard it all of my life, it's still like I'm hearing it for the first time. It is a very powerful thing. For nowhere else in life, nowhere else in life will I find that kind of mercy. The Apostle Paul this morning in Philippians, in chapter 1 that we, we heard read a few minutes ago, is a guy that really understands what it means to be ambushed by God's grace. There was a point in his life where he really felt self-confident. He thought he had it all together. He was the Jew's Jew. He was the best of the Pharisees. He believed he was obedient completely to the law of God. And then one day, confronted by the one who sets the standards for discipleship, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Everything began to change. Not certainly overnight, but through the years he would begin to understand what it means to be daily dependent on this one who called him to faith and into a new living relationship. This morning, God's word of grace again is spoken to us. Hear those words in the context of the cross and the resurrection. Hear those words that 
that are spoken to you as that which en enables you to stand up again and be renewed as a disciple of Christ and to see today and the days that will follow as an opportunity to walk in, in, in service to him. The one who hears my confession is the very one who has died for my sin and loves me as I am. We are free and forgiven then to live for him. In Philippians 1, 12 to 21, the Apostle Paul is writing again from prison. He's been there before. And he says, don't, don't feel sorry for me. This is the guy that was ambushed by grace. This is Damascus Road stuff. Now in prison because of his ministry, because he understood God, God's grace, because of God's love, he tells his listeners, don't feel sorry for me. The gospel has been advanced because of this. Brothers and sisters have become confident because of my chains. The whole palace guard, everyone knows I am in chains because of Christ. And he's saying, this is a great thing. This is a glorious thing. It might even be a sense of God's humor thing because one of the ways in which house imprisonment was carried out was that they would be chained to a Roman soldier while they were housebound and imprisoned. Could you imagine being the unbelieving Roman soldier who was chained to the Apostle Paul? Do you think he ever heard of Jesus? Maybe over and over and over again. Brothers and sisters to become confident because of my chains. What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He desires to be faithful and faithfully exalt Christ through his living. Through his life, Christ is exalted, and through his death as well. Living daily is Christ, and dying is even better, because he will then be with Jesus in a new dimension. This is a man who's filled with hope. Ambushed by God's grace, by Jesus Christ, who brings amazing hope to his life and to his living. God calls us to be people of hope as well. Please don't understand, that's not Pollyanna thinking, that's not uh, just wishful thinking, but people of all certainty that Christ is ours, Christ is with us, Christ walks with us today and has opened the doors to eternity and fills us with hope as we live out the struggles of life 
as followers of Jesus. What I hear from Paul is great confidence in Christ who loves him and has redeemed him. What I don't hear is a sense of fear. I hear confidence and hope. While we were traveling, some of you here this morning with us this summer in, in Germany, we were traveling through a portion of Germany that I had never been to before, a portion that especially during the 30s and 40s, now all of Germany was involved there, but there were, the nation was under the spell of the dictator named Adolf Hitler, and then after uh, until after the war, until the 1990s, the portion of Germany that we were in this summer was um, uh, under the control of, of communism. And while we were in Berlin, we were learning about life under both, under Hitler and what life was like under the communists. And right across the street from our hotel, there was a museum, uh, a World War II, post-World War II museum called the Museum of the Resistance. And Kathy and I spent a couple of hours walking through and reading all of the displays, and it was an emotionally gripping experience as you read about all of these people and different groups that had uh, stood in opposition to uh, the, the Nazis and how it cost almost all of them their, their lives. There was also a section there that was dedicated to the work of Christians the Christian church was very much a part of this resistance. And in particular, a Lutheran named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And his picture was there on the wall in the museum. I thought it was somewhat ironic because this at one time had been a major Nazi headquarters. And we did discover that about two blocks away from our hotel in the opposite direction, was this little Lutheran church, and that was the church that Dietrich Bonhoeffer had been ordained a pastor in, and where his ministry began. Prior to the war in the 30s, Bonhoeffer was living in New York City. He was going to school. Now, this is a man that already has a PhD, but he was going to school in, here in the United States. An interesting sidebar, a that you'll find in his biography. He, uh, when he came to the United States, he was just kind of taken back by the preaching that he heard. He said, you could hear a sermon about anything except Jesus, forgiveness, grace, and mercy. As Hitler began to gain some influence, he realized that he needed to return to Germany. His friends encouraged him to stay here in the safety of the United States, but instead he returned. 
And in the midst of Hitler's rise and the war that would follow, he would be a part of the resistance. And that's what he's remembered for. But what was not on the walls in that museum was this. He was a disciple of Jesus Christ. And his action in the resistance, he was ultimately executed after being a part of three attempts on on the Fuhrer's life, all that failed. As important as that was, he was one who from the pulpit and one-on-one with people would bring the hope of Jesus to the people of Germany. Jesus, who brings hope to every dimension of life, no matter the circumstances, in the midst of a time of great fear, he would hold up the one who brings hope. He would hold up the cross. He would hold up the image of the empty grave and the ascended Christ and the one who brings hope even in the midst of all that that nation was experiencing. See this same Jesus today who brings hope to all of the circumstances of your life. These are fear-filled days for many. We face the everyday fears that characterize living in a broken world. The fear of making an important decision. The fear of losing your job. The fear of illness and death of loved ones. The fear of a temptation that can no, you can no longer resist to which perhaps you are enslaved. The fear of disgrace. The fear of another person. The fear of your own dying. In addition to the fears that accompany all of us in a tense election year, While the current social and political climate of the United States certainly cannot be compared to the extreme of that in Germany in the 30s, we can't help but notice the fear that pervades the current election cycle, a cycle that's fraught with threats of terrorism, loss of religious freedoms and values, and the risks of immigration. Fear is there, isn't it? But here is real hope. Right there, right there this morning as you taste the body and blood of Christ. You will hear the words of Jesus as we pray later in our service the prayer that he taught us to pray. Thy will be done. There will be hard days. There could be hard 
years for our nation ahead, but Jesus is here, and he will not leave. He will never forsake us. We could lose our liberty. Terrorism could reign. But above all, Jesus remains. He was the hope Dietrich Bonhoeffer shared with the people of Germany. He is the hope that God holds out to you and to me this day. Liberty could be lost. Terrorism could reign. But I promise you, the church will stand where Jesus is here. It's not to say you just throw up your hands in resignation, but simply that you acknowledge that life is filled with struggles. Storms come, storms go, but in the midst of it all, is our great God who loves and redeems and will never be absent. Who paid the price for you and for me for forgiveness today, but he's the one that opened the doors to eternity for us. In him and in him alone, we have real hope. Suffering, yes. Struggle, yes. Fear, on occasion, yes. But Jesus, even more. He is here. Amen.